Before we jump into this interview with Carrington today, we'd like to give a quick shout out to Q39. Q39 is a great sponsor for us. We greatly appreciate their support. Today's episode will consist of Chiefs playoff talk and Mizzou basketball talk and a lot more. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Gather around the dinner table with Q39. Your award-winning barbecue favorites are just a click away. Visit Q39KC.com to place your Q2Go order and pick it up curbside hot and fresh at either Q39 location. Need a meal for the whole family? Check out Q39's grab-and-go barbecue meal package for a quick and convenient option the whole family will love. All right, we now welcome on a recurring guest of the podcast who has a radio show called The Drive on 610. You can catch it every weekday from 2 to 6. It's Carrington Harrison. Carrington, we really appreciate you coming back on this podcast to actually preview a good game other than previewing the Jets this time. Yeah, I remember you guys had me on for that Jets game, and it was an absolutely awful experience. I don't even really remember the Jets game. There were two Chiefs games this year. But I'll be honest to you guys, I wasn't really that invested in. The Jets game, so I have one of those two TV setups. So I have a large TV on the bottom, and I have a smaller TV that's mounted on the wall above it. The Jets and the Falcons game at no point touched the bottom of the screen. At no <laughs> point. Red zone was on the bottom screen. That's the way to go. And I had my eye on the Chiefs game every single time. Actually, no, I'll take it back. I turned to the Chiefs game, the drive when Mahomes took him down the field and then scored the touchdown. Because that was late in the fourth quarter. I'm like, all right, I feel like Kansas City is going to score here. Let me turn back to it. So I am happy to be on to a game that has consequence. And I, I think this game will hit the bottom screen. Well, that's good. If it can hit the bottom screen, screen excuse me, I think uh, we're all in good hands. So let's get into it. Chiefs versus Browns. To be honest, I don't think anyone saw this matchup coming. I think we all saw Ravens versus Chiefs. But it turns out the Browns killed the Steelers. I mean, before we get into that, there's been a big debate with uh, everyone on the podcast. Um, a lot of people, when I say a lot, I just mean the other two on this podcast. They call me crazy. I think there should be talk around the Steelers organization of either maybe putting Mike Tomlin on the hot seat, talking about what needs to happen next year to keep a job, maybe even getting fired, or for sure some other coordinators getting fired and rebuilding the Steelers organization. Where do you think Mike Tomlin sits in the Steelers organization right now? I think it's kind of a two-part answer. I would say first, what are they going to do with Ben Roethlisberger? I think they're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. He's a guy that's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I think still is a productive quarterback in the NFL. But can you win a Super Bowl with that person as your quarterback? You also don't have the quarterback of the future on the roster. So that's kind of why you're stuck in between a rock and a hard place. When it comes to Mike Tomlin, I think Tomlin's a good coach. I think he's one of the 10 best coaches in the NFL. I think he's done a really good job with last year not having Roethlisberger and that team had a chance to make the playoffs late but didn't because of the quarterback situation. And this year, getting that team to win 11 games despite all of the problems that they had. My issue with Pittsburgh is can you guys think of a team that has talked more the last three years and done as little as the Pittsburgh Steelers have? This I mean, year, Juju was in the headlines for everything outside of football. He was in the headlines for dancing on teams' logos. He was on the headlines for saying same old Browns. Then Chase Claypool on a couple of days ago was on TikTok saying how the Browns are going to lose their playoff game. Bro, you lost. Like At some point, there has to be some kind of, there has to be some kind of hubris to realize Bro, 
we got to be way more about action and less about talking. And that never happened. And to me, that comes from a little bit of the head coach. I understand they're grown men and you got to let them live their lives and function how they want to function. But I find it hard to believe that the Chiefs would be doing all this talking if they were out losing the way that the Steelers have lost for the last five weeks. I mean, the crazy thing is the Jets won more games after week 11 than the Steelers did. I mean, that's wild. Yeah, I mean, that's where you really start questioning things. Jackson, uh, you got anything? Yeah, I'm on the team. Mike Tomlin is safe seat. Um, I think he's fine. I wouldn't fire him if I was the Pittsburgh Steelers, so that's my input on it. Although I would take a look at potentially replacing the offensive coordinator because that offense was not that good. And you make an interesting point about how, you know, they were talking, maybe a coach. I mean, for sure, Bill Belichick would not allow that to happen. You know, some I'm pretty sure Andy Reid wouldn't allow that to happen. So that's an interesting point. I just think, and what we always draw it back to is it would be kind of hard to replace a guy that in what's it been 12, 13 years has never finished below 500. And that's, that's and that's not always with, that's not with, that's not with great teams every time. He just had to deal with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges a year ago. So to kind of wrap up that Pittsburgh thought, if it were me, I would hang on to Mike Tomlin, but I guess there is an argument to get rid of him. I don't know how you can watch that game necessarily and just say like, oh yeah, Mike Tomlin's the reason they lost. I mean, that team just collapsed on themselves. So, you know, it is what it is. I mean, when you look at it, the Steelers team, you can't blame that whole loss on them, but it's like, it's not just that game. Kind of what Carrington was talking about. I mean, how this team is acting in the past and how they've been performing to what they've been talking about is stuff that you really need to take a look at. But we're not a Pittsburgh podcast. We're a Kansas City podcast. We had the one seed. We didn't even have to worry about super wild card weekend. We have Chiefs versus Browns. I mean, people think this is a blowout, but I mean, it being a home Chiefs game, anything can happen. I get we have Patrick Mahomes, but we're still the Chiefs at the end of the day. Carrington, what do you see from this Chiefs team that can uh, do something that the Steelers couldn't do in beating the Browns last week? Well, I don't think Kansas City is going to start nearly as slow in their game <laughs> that Pittsburgh did. So I think that's probably number one. We talked about this on my radio show earlier today. A lot of it has been made on the conversation of rest versus rust and where Kansas City is going to figure into that. After bye weeks or after extended times of rest with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, the Chiefs have scored at least 31 points in all of those games. So I expect Kansas City is going to come out and be able to score in this game. I also think Kansas City is a lot more balanced than Pittsburgh. To go back to what we were saying a little bit with the offensive coordinator, I don't know what offensive coordinator is going to help you if you can't run the football. And Pittsburgh just couldn't run the football sure. the last eight to ten weeks of the season. So I hear what you're saying. If they fire the offensive coordinator, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad move, but they just got to start running the football more effectively. I thought coming into this, that out of the realistic options for Kansas City in the divisional round, that Cleveland was the worst option. I only think Cleveland can beat Kansas City one way. I think their only way to beat Kansas City is 41-38 to 38 or 38-35. I don't really see a scenario in which Cleveland wins outside of that. I just don't trust Cleveland's defense enough to beat Kansas City. And I think you can move the ball against them, you can score against them, and if you're going to be where your only situation, your only scenario to beat Kansas City is in a shootout and you got to score a lot of points to make it happen, odds are you're not going to be able to score enough to keep up with Kansas City and that you're going to lose that game. 
Yeah, the only time I can really think about Patrick Mahomes really losing a shootout is that historical Monday night football game against the Rams. But, I mean, when you look at all of his other wins and losses, they were either they were all really good games, but, I mean, you never really saw a shootout loss from Mahomes. He always ends up on top, usually other than the Rams game. But people were saying if the Browns run the football, let's say, seven minutes a drive, do you think that has any like big implications on the way the Chiefs offense performs? I don't really think that Cleveland's that kind of team. Like if you really have watched Cleveland so far this year, yes, they run the football super effectively. But Cleveland's a team that feels comfortable scoring in the 28s to mid 30s. Like typically when we talk about that team that you're bringing up, the team that wants to have the 7-8 minute drives, they're a team that's going to beat you 17 to 14. I don't see any scenario in which that's a way that Cleveland wins this football game. So I understand that they're your quote-unquote running team, but they're using that run to set up play action, to set up Baker, to set up Jarvis Landry and some of the weapons that they have. Like, Cleveland wants to play into the 30s. They typically just don't play offenses that are nearly as potent, nearly as dynamic as Kansas City. Well, yeah, I think the number one thing that you not only see with uh, the Chiefs, but you're starting to see with the Bills even, is that – the number one way to beat a team with a high-playing offense is to never give them the ball, which, I mean, is obviously a formula I'm sure they're going to try. And also, you know, I take a look at last week, and we go, you know, just to go back to the Colts and Bills game, Frank Reich was, you know, everyone looks at him being too aggressive. But when you're facing a high-flying offense like a Buffalo or Kansas City, you put teams in that situation to where they have to be more aggressive. They can't just settle for field goals. They know that. So I think – the key for Kansas City would be put this game in Baker Mayfield's hands, make him beat you. Do not let Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb just eat the clock away and, you know, give you guys barely any time to perform. I think putting it in Baker's hands, even though, I mean, Baker's not a terrible quarterback, but putting it in his hands, making him beat you is the strategy this week. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't really think that's what Baker is. Like, I don't really think that's who Baker is. Like, we made this I made this point on the show today how I think that Cleveland is going to get fooled the way that a lot of organizations get fooled now when it comes time to pay your quarterback that yeah. you think too much to what happened in the postseason you don't really take a step back and evaluate the big picture and you end up making a bad financial decision on a quarterback that is super limited think back to Jared Goff so you brought up the 2018 when Kansas City could score a lot of points the Rams also could score a lot of points and golf looked super effective when everything was in place. That offensive line was great. They yeah. could run the football. They had all the pass-catching options. The Rams were a dynamic team. Fast forward two years later, Todd Gurley's not the same player he's gone. You don't have Brandon Cooks anymore. The wide receiver group's not the same. The offensive line isn't the same. And we kind of see Jared Goff for who he is. Can't we all see that exact same scenario happening for Baker Mayfield? I'd run very clear. I wouldn't want to pay Baker. And I know that's a big picture as opposed to what you're asking me about this game. Yeah. but. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it also fits into this game. Baker hasn't shown me that he's the guy that's going to go out and win a game against a decent defense. I don't think Kansas oh. City's defense is great by any means, but Baker's not coming out here and in a winning effort throwing for 300 yards and being the reason why Cleveland advanced to the AFC Championship game. It's yeah, funny I mean, that he, you brought up Jared Goff because Jackson like, I, I at mean, least won every – I, I, I don't think it's even a controversial take. I've said it since the Rams went to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff is not very good. Yeah, and, Jackson preaches by I mean, that's a, I just don't think that he's that good. I mean, it's not hard. Carrington just basically said what I've been saying for the last few years, that when everything's going perfect, he's good. When things start to unravel, he's not good. 
And that that's the difference between an elite quarterback and just an average guy. So, uh, and that's, and you know, I kind of view Baker Mayfield on the same pedestal as I do Jared Goff that when the running game's going well, when, you know, things are going your way, like it did last week, the defense is getting touchdowns, interceptions. Yeah, he's great. But when it's not going perfect, when things get off script, when, you know, your team isn't performing at an all-star level, I just don't think he can get the job done, which is goes back to Carrington's point about down the road, Cleveland paying him. Um, I do think, just to add my two cents to it, Cleveland's going to pay him the absolute bank just because they. I think they'll look back on where they have been with previous quarterbacks and probably just have to think to pay him. I personally wouldn't, but we'll see. If he wins this game, which I really obviously hope he doesn't, but if he does, then honestly he deserves the money. But, yeah, I, I don't really fear Baker Mayfield a lot this week. I think the two things that are the scariest from what I've looked at it um, are the Cleveland pass rush versus a kind of a shaky Kansas City offensive line and then the running game versus, you know, our linebacking core is pretty banged up and it's not, you know, great as it is anyway. Yeah. Um, I think the pass rush is a really good point about Miles Garrett. I just – I've seen Kansas City able to overcome the pass rush. That To me, it's much more than that. It's – I would say Cleveland at a minimum – needs to either force two turnovers in this game and or score a touchdown on defense or special teams and just steal a possession away from Kansas City. You know, like, they need to be in a situation where, like, I don't think Cleveland can beat Kansas City straight up. I don't really think a lot of teams can beat Kansas City straight up, but I would put Cleveland in that. And what I mean by straight up is, like, last year's San Francisco 49ers, I think, matched talent for talent with Kansas City and they could beat Kansas City without any any given Sunday scenario. I don't really think that way about Cleveland. I yeah. think it would have to be a no. similar perfect storm to what happened in the Pittsburgh yeah. game in order for it to happen. So we actually looked this up today because I was really curious, and it kind of fits with what we're saying. Out of the last 10 years, there have been 11 double-digit favorites in the postseason. They're 9-2 and two against the spread and there's only been one outright winner who was a double-digit underdog the last 10 years, and that was last year's Tennessee team and mm. when they, in, in which they beat the Baltimore Ravens. Like, the yeah. numbers strongly suggest that Kansas City is going to win this game, and the numbers largely suggest that Kansas City is going to win this game handedly on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, when you bring up the Ravens game, oh. I'm kind of hoping ahead. that we don't act like the Ravens against the Titans. I mean, I know Andy Reid is going to be – Everyone on the team's taking this game very seriously, and so were the Ravens last year, but I'm just hoping they're treating this pretty much just like every other game they've played. It's just like you don't want to hear someone on that team, if we somehow lose, say, we just weren't prepared enough. Like, you've had three weeks. You should be prepared enough to play the any team, you, any team you're given. If you're given three weeks, you should be able to have a very good shot at winning a game. But uh, before we get into uh, game picks, I do want to ask you one thing, Carrington. This is kind of a little off topic, but you kind of brought it up that you wouldn't pay Baker. So if you had to pay one of these quarterbacks, who would you pay to build your team around? Would you rather pay Baker Mayfield or Mitchell Trubisky? Oh, my God. I mean, I'd rather pay Baker. Like, my issue with Baker would be this. When do I get out of the contract? What am I paying him like? So – Let's say that he wants the Jared Goff contract. It'd be a no. Like, I don't think that's a good contract for Cleveland. I think they'd be better suited letting him go and just starting over the drafting process and or going to trade for another team's quarterback and overspending via draft pick capital as opposed to giving the guy all the money. 
But if you came to me and said, let's say that you give Baker the uh, Teddy Bridgewater contract or maybe a little bit more, that doesn't really limit you from doing anything. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't really hurt you from doing anything. Let's say that you gave him Tom Brady's deal, two years, $50 million, and you fully guaranteed 40 of it. I don't really think that's a contract that hurts you. Now, you might not win during that, but I don't think you'll lose because Baker's contract is this big albatross that's in there. My issue with Baker would just be spending franchise money on a guy who we know isn't a franchise guy. Like, McDonald's is fine. I don't have no issue with McDonald's. McDonald's would be very different if it was $12 for a McDouble. Like, hold on, hold on. I'm hungry. I ain't that yeah. hungry. Like, I, don't, I don't want the McDouble that bad. That's kind of how I look at Baker Mayfield. So my issue with Baker wouldn't be, do I want him on my roster? Is he capable? Like, I don't want Mitch Trubisky. Like, yeah, I that's, what, that's what I was yeah. trying to figure out. I was trying to figure out how, that, what you were that saying. That he's super limited. I don't feel that way about Baker. I just feel Baker is in that category of quarterbacks, and there's probably 15 of them in the NFL. Yeah, I just didn't want to – I didn't want to say how bad do you not want Baker. I just kind of wanted to get an understanding of where you were coming from with that. But yeah, but like really quick though, Baker to me is just largely dependent on situation, and that's not a bad thing. That's a lot of guys in the NFL. I just yeah. wouldn't overspend for players who are largely dependent on their situation. Like those aren't the guys that I'm willing to just break the bank for. Like I would have been wrong on Carson Wentz. I would have happily had given Carson Wentz the money. Same. I would have given Jared Goff the money because I thought. I thought McVay was good enough where he's like Kyle Shanahan, where he just would have got the absolute most out of whatever player played quarterback. I've been wrong on Jared Goff. But now with Baker, just I've never been overly impressed with Baker since his rookie year. I think this year it has been as close to what Baker's ceiling is. I think he is a guy who's always going to throw under 4,000 yards, normally throw under 30 touchdowns, and you're hoping that you keep the interceptions. But I also think that next year's schedule for Cleveland is going to drastically change. I think Cleveland is in the playoffs largely because of their schedule this year. That's no shade towards them, but Pittsburgh benefited, especially early on, from a very easy schedule. Cleveland is in that same vein. Cleveland didn't start having good wins until last week. They didn't have many big-time wins. They didn't play that many really good teams. I just think a lot of those things are falling in there where I wouldn't overly buy into this one year with Baker. I treat Baker like how the Cowboys are treating Dak Prescott. Like, that's how I would do it. Like, I wouldn't pay him this year. I would have him in his fourth year. I'd pick up the option. If he plays really well, I'd have the fifth-year option. And then you have the ability to franchise tag him. Like, I would slow play it the exact same way the Cowboys are with Dak Prescott. I think that's a great statement there. Um, Probably the way they should do it. Looking at this game – uh, what do you what do you think the score is going to be? Who do you think is going to be a main uh, key to winning this game? I just don't really see a scenario in which Cleveland stops Kansas City. Like I think Kansas City is going to be able to score pretty much at will in this game. I think Kansas City scores in the 30s or maybe the 40s. I think it's going to be like a 35-17, 41-24 kind of game. Like I think Kansas City wins this game, wins it pretty comfortably, wins it going away. Because Cleveland's defense just cannot hold. We've seen you can score against that team. You can move the ball against that team. The last time that they played an offense I would deem to be functional, fully functional, was Baltimore. Baltimore scored 47 points against this team less than a month ago. I think Cleveland's defense is the worst defense remaining in the playoffs. I think you can score on Cleveland largely at will. 
right. Yep, I agree with that. And I thought I thought before that Tennessee was the worst defense in the in the playoffs. So I would have been happy to play them or Cleveland. That was what I was thinking when I was watching Cleveland because we were all pulling uh, to play either Cleveland or the Indianapolis Colts because we did not want to see the Baltimore Ravens uh, just because it's – I mean, yes, we've beaten them this year, but they have a way better defense in my opinion, and they're a lot better than when we beat them in week three. So I'm confident in the Chiefs this weekend. I do have a question, though, kind of going back to something you said earlier. You said that the Browns – or, you know, last year the 49ers could line up talent for talent with the Chiefs, and you don't believe Cleveland can do that. Is there a team left in this postseason that you think can do that with the Chiefs? And if so, are there multiple, or who would it be? The really odd thing is I think there's a few teams that can do it. It really just depends on their quarterback and how they play. Like, Buffalo or Baltimore can beat Kansas City. I think it would take an A effort from both of those teams, but Buffalo was down six with – what, four minutes to go, five minutes to go in that game where if they get a stop and Kansas City punts the football back, then they have a chance to win that game. At some point, Lamar is going to beat Patrick Mahomes. I don't know when yeah. it's going to be, yeah. but the Ravens are too good of an organization. Lamar is too good of a quarterback. Mahomes ain't going 12-0 and in his career against Lamar Jackson. We would love I it, kinda, We would love it. <laughs> no, it'd be great. I kind of think, though, I don't know if Baltimore can beat Kansas City because – Getting pressure for them is largely dependent on blitzing. And if you're going to be a team that has to blitz 50% of the time, 60% of the time to get pressure against Kansas City, you just find yourself in one-on-one matchups on the outside that is not in your best interest. I would be interested in Baltimore and how they look different this time because J.K. Dobbins is a much bigger part of their offense now than he was the first time that these two teams played each other. So I I, I think Baltimore can beat them. I think Buffalo can beat them. I think that Green Bay could beat them. I think that the Saints are talented enough. I don't think their quarterback's good enough. And the same thing for the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers, 2 through 53, are good enough. Are they good enough at quarterback to beat a team like Kansas City? I don't think so. Before we get on to some other topics, what is your Super Bowl prediction? I think it's going to be Kansas City. I think they're going to play Green Bay. I actually like the Saints roster more than I like Green Bay's. It's just hard for me to pick Drew Brees with the way that he's played so far. If I had to pick it, I think it's Kansas City. I feel 90% sure that Kansas City is going to be there. Like, I think if Kansas City loses, it is one of the biggest upsets in the history of the NFL if they lose. I'm not saying it's the biggest, but... This week or just not making it to the Super Bowl? If they don't make it to the Super Bowl. I think it will be just... Think about how... Like, I don't think we really – I mean, I think we know, but it sounds bad to say, but, like, we're not really keeping into context how good Kansas City's been the last year and a half. They've only lost yeah. one game. Now, I know they lost that game to the Chargers. That is not good. No. They've yeah. lost There's one game over the – Yeah, that doesn't matter. Last 300 and what, like 90 days, 400-something days? You're telling me that team, Yeah, it's ridiculous. That team then the next year goes 15-1. and Let's say they're 15-1. and and that team doesn't make the Super Bowl, that will be a loss we will talk about for the next 10 years. That will and, hurt. And then if It'll Mahomes, be one you go back on at the end of Mahomes' career and think we should have won that year. Absolutely. I mean, that, yeah. There, there are like a, a college basketball analogy, analogy. Coach Cal has some teams where you're thinking, that team didn't go to the Final Four? Like one right. year you had John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe all on the same team that didn't go to the Final Four. Like you'll just always look back, Cal. Fantastic coach, Hall of Fame coach, done a great job at Kentucky. He'll probably win one more of those things. 
you'll always be like, well, he should have three because of X, Y, and Z. That's how this year will be for Kansas City. This has to be one. I'm not saying they have to win the Super Bowl. They at least have to be in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think that's right. I Now that you talk about it, I mean, I can see where you're coming from. I think if we lose to the, a Buffalo Bills team in a big shootout, I think it won't be as uh, disappointing. But, I mean, this week, if we if we lose somehow, I will be embarrassed. As it, listen, you're at, you're at the point now as a team to where if you don't go or win the Super Bowl, it's an, not an, I guess not an embarrassment, but it's a disappointing season, which is a privileged position to be in as a Chiefs fan because for many years we were just like, let's win a home playoff game. But now you're at the position where you're kind of like the Golden State Warriors where it's like you're stacked, you have probably the best player in football, uh, you've got to go win a championship. There's no excuses. You have to do it. You're the best team. That doesn't mean you're going to, but it's just like you should. They expect you to be there. And if you don't, you're going to look back on it like a lot of people look back on Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and think, wow, how did they not get any more rings? How did they only have that many rings? Well, it's because on the years that they were great, the years that Green Bay went 15-1, and one, they, they didn't capitalize when they got there, which is – you know, the most disheartening thing as a fan when you are so good and you just don't get there. And so I think regardless of what happens, if the Chiefs don't at least go to the Super Bowl, like Carrington's saying, it would be a very disappointing end. Yeah. And I guess to uh, to piggyback off your point is with the NBA analogy, I think Patrick Mahomes is at the LeBron point. LeBron, only three things matter to LeBron every single year. Did you win NBA MVP? Did your team make the finals? Did your team win the finals? Last year, LeBron led in assists. I don't care about that. It's a great stat, but I don't care LeBron led the NBA in assists for the first time. Like, LeBron is at the adding to his legacy. He is adding to his his Wikipedia page. That's where Patrick Mahomes is. Right now, I've made this point on the show. Patrick Mahomes is not competing with the other quarterbacks in the NFL. He is competing with the ghost of, of Joe Montana and the ghost of Tom Brady. Where at the end of his career, it's very simply going to come down to how many times did you win MVP? How many times did your team go to the Super Bowl? How many times did you win the Super Bowl? We know that Mahomes isn't going to go every year. They're not going to win every year. But once you sign that contract and once you got off to the pace that Mahomes is at where you're running a different race than all of your contemporaries, it's now thinking big. It's now thinking all time. It's thinking Where does Mahomes rank in comparison to the greatest quarterbacks of all time? So this year, in a year in which we all think Kansas City has more talent than everybody else, best quarterback, best coach, best offensive weapons, Kansas City has a lot of things that you should really love about them. They haven't really been able to be beat so far this season outside of the one game to the Las Vegas Raiders. If this team doesn't go to the Super Bowl, I don't want to hear the, well, Buffalo got hot at the right time. It will be a massive disappointment for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. Yeah, I mean, something that is a disappointment is uh, Missouri basketball. Um, <laughs> we got, the right we got pretty deep that into right it time. last time you were on. Uh, that was before the season started. Uh, I will yeah. say they have exceeded my expectations. I thought this team would get at least one win against Oregon or Illinois, but we got both. But at the same time, you lose to Mississippi State. Um, Carrington, what conf- where is your confidence in this Missouri basketball team? Because let me tell you, the game getting canceled on Saturday was probably the best thing for my mental health because I'm at <laughs> 0% for confidence. Uh, I, 
I think that Missouri is probably a six to eight seed in the NCAA tournament. That's where I see it. It, it really just depends on can Missouri shoot like. The game against Mississippi State was as happy as I've been about Missouri basketball this season. It was also <laughs> as frustrated as I've been. Like, I thought that first half, they right. played as well as they've played so far this season. Like, even in the game, I watched every dribble against Oregon, every dribble against uh, Wichita State. I was actually on the air on CBS during the Illinois, but watched the last eight minutes. Like, I've been really locked into this Missouri season. I thought they played as well in the first half against Mississippi State as possible. Then the second half started, and if you're not a team who either, A, don't have guys who can create their own shot and get to the basket, or B, guys that can knock down open jumpers, it's really hard to kind of quiet those long runs that the other team goes on and also to jumpstart things for yourself. Like It became a point with Mizzou where they needed a basket. And the only way that this team can consistently get baskets is Xavier Penton get, get to the basket or offensive rebound put back for Jeremiah Tilbin. That's like really the only way that they can score that it's just, it's really hard to see them consistently playing at a high enough level if you can't knock down jump shots. Ever since the Wichita State game, I mean, both Smiths have kind of been disappointing. I mean, they both started out back-to-back SEC Player of the Week, but ever since then, I mean, it's been pretty quiet from them. I mean, Mark did hit a couple threes in his last couple games, but I mean, you don't expect just a couple threes in the last couple games. You expect a few threes maybe every single game from a knockdown shooter that we have seen before. And th- and Drew Smith, I mean, he was voted preseason SEC second team. Right now he's performing as just another SEC player. He's not second team talent. If anything, Jeremiah Tillman is performing like that, if not even better. But when you look at this Missouri team, we've seen their good days and we've seen their shitty days. Yeah, They're not even bad. <laughs> they're shit. Okay. Um, I was at the Tennessee game. It was so quiet when we were down 24 to 4. I knew we lost at that point. I mean, this Missouri team, it will always be the University of Missouri men's basketball team. They will have that Mizzou tiger on the front of their logo. If they wear the yellow ones, they will just have Mizzou if they wear any other jersey. And it will be the same Missouri history. They disappoint you when you don't expect it. I mean, we all kind of saw Tennessee was probably going to beat us. We, we kind of knew it. But... Expecting Mississippi State to outscore us by 25 in the second half. I That was the maddest. I don't even know if that's a word. I've never been more angry in my <laughs> life when that happened. It was, I know. You you, you, very, you were very upset. Yeah. And he was, I mean, I can't really blame you. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, it's hard to get me mad. I was so mad the second half of the game. It was so like, mad. You could put any other player out there, and they could at least get one shot knocked down between the 15-0 run. It was horrible. And I'll say this. Just they shot – they played probably, like Carrington said, out of their mind in that first half. But for a group of seniors in a veteran team to unravel like that in the second half versus a – Versus not a great team, just a just an okay Mississippi State team was so disappointed because that's been the trend the last few years is we com- we're competing in these games with teams in the SEC and then at the end we lose them close or we'll like let a team go on a run at the end and lose. Well, this year at the beginning, 
we were we had fixed that issue. Oregon tried to come back late. We didn't let it happen. Illinois tried to come back late. We were able to hang on. But now, I mean, you play a great half of basketball, and then in the second half, the shot selection was terrible. Even when the shots were open looks, they were terrible. And Mississippi State, quite frankly, just could not miss regardless of the defense. So it was just a complete and utter disaster, and I honestly do not expect it to stay as a trend, but there is something to be said about it. It was a very, very bad game. Yeah, my ceiling now for this Missouri basketball team is winning one game in March Madness, and the floor is making it. There's nothing. Floor is making it. I would be thrilled with one NCAA. I don't uh, want to make it to the second weekend. If we can just get one win, I would be happy. If they don't make the tournament, that means they should be gone. I mean, I I don't think he's gone just because of their contract. Like his contract, it doesn't really allow. Just their non-con is so strong. It would be really hard to miss the tournament if they play enough games. You know what I mean? Like, it it would be really hard. Like, so what do they play? 18 games in the SEC? I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. Even if they go two games under in the SEC, I think that's enough with how many non-con wins that they have and the quality of wins that they have. Like, they would really have to blow it in conference play to not make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, for sure. This, like I said, I mean, yeah, it's the same as you. I just want to turn it and win morning. it first. It, it's, I am just so sick of losing in the first round. It, the last time we won a tournament game was Clemson, right? Like in 2000, was it eight? Like, I don't even remember. It's been so long. It's like the Chiefs when they couldn't win a home playoff game. Just brutal. So, just one. Just, I'm not, I'm not asking for too much. I just want one tournament win this year. Yeah. So, kind of just get on the other side briefly. Missouri football wrapped up its season. Elijah Drinkwitz finished what six? For, no, five and five. That's what I was gonna say. Five and five. Are you pleased with Drinkwitz's first year of head coaching this Missouri Tigers team, Carrington? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm really happy with what I saw from Drinkwitz. With the amount of guys that they have coming back, with you would imagine the schedule softens up just a little bit for them, and you get like real home games next year. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it this year. I. I thought Missouri just ran out of gas at the end. I thought the game, the last game of the season against Mississippi State, oddly enough, we're talking about basketball, Mississippi State. I I think it was just over for Missouri at that point. Like, I don't want to say Missouri was happy with what happened against Arkansas, but I thought that last game against Mississippi State, they just played like a team that was just tired for the season. Yeah, I mean, when you have your starting, the first game starting quarterback playing safety, that's when you know you're uh, you're pretty thin. Yeah, like they they played like a team that knew it was over, and I I I don't really think that the first year can go much better just based on what our expectations are. If anything, it confirmed there's a big gap between the haves in the SEC and everybody else. Missouri was largely competitive against everybody that we don't deem to be a top program in the SEC. There's yeah. a big gap between them in Florida, a big gap between them in Alabama, understandably, a big gap between them in Georgia. That's what needs to change first. I'm not saying Missouri's yeah. going to get to the level of Alabama. Obviously, they're not going to do that. But right. can you get to the level of competitiveness against Alabama? Can you get to the level of competitiveness against Georgia and Florida and those teams? And if you get there, you can be a team that wins seven to nine games in the SEC. Yeah, Which I mean, they've shown in their SEC time that they could. They've beaten Georgia. They've beaten Florida. Granted, not re- I guess they did beat Florida recently, Georgia a while ago. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I think you, you have a great point there that 
even beating LSU, I know it's a down year for them, but just beating them is a big deal. Just doing things like that. We expect to be better than Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. We're supposed to be on like the same level as normally. But then you're right. That gap between Bama, Georgia, and Florida, the the whole goal when you bring in a new administration is to close that gap, not not at once, but just to make it thinner. Can you compete against those teams? Can you make those competitive games? And to Missouri's credit a little bit, I mean, granted, week one was a long time ago. They only lost by 19 to Alabama. You just saw Ohio State get smoked by 28. So, I mean, Missouri. So technically, for, we're the second best team in the nation. Is what for all intents and purposes, Missouri, yes, they weren't very close in the Alabama, Georgia, or uh, Florida game. But I think it's heading in the right direction. I might just be an optimist, but it seems to be going well. And there's not much more you could have hoped for in Drinkwood's first year, noting that most people, including myself, thought of it as like a three-win season coming in. Yeah, when you look at Drinkwitz, uh, I mean, his recruiting, that's what's making him that's what's making everyone excited at Mizzou. Yeah. When you get Mookie Cooper to flip from or once he's on the transfer, he goes from Ohio State to Mizzou as a four-star wide receiver where I've seen that some places had him as a five-star, not many, but some. I mean, Drinkwitz is getting good recruits, which is something we haven't seen in forever. I mean, yeah. this is Since what the Gary future Pinkle. of Missouri is looking like and it's it's fun it's great to see us win recruiting battles versus illinois kansas all these midwestern colleges i mean that's what drinkwitz is made about he he said he wants to build a wall around missouri he doesn't want any he wants all which the state recruits and st louis is now heavily missouri now yeah which is Just great that's what he's that always wanted but yeah four years from now if I said Missouri was a top 15 team in the nation, would that be shocking to you, Carrington? Consistently, yes. If they got there yeah. one time under Drinkwitz, no. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. That's like, I, I, I bet if we look over the last 10 years and look at the teams that you would deem to be consistently in the top 15, I don't know if Missouri gets there realistically. Now, if we're saying that they become what Virginia Tech used to be in Wisconsin, maybe. I would say just based on their history as a program, probably not. But I don't think it's crazy to think they have one of those years where they go on a run. But, I mean, Wisconsin is one of those teams year in and year out. Virginia yes. Tech, Beamer, was one of those teams for 20 years. I I don't know if I'm willing to say that's what Missouri's going to be for a prolonged period of time. I mean, I would say they weren't really that under Pinkle. Now, they certainly had their spikes and they jumped up and down, yeah. but I don't think they were a perennial top 15 team for, you know, 10 years. No. They had Chase Daniel run. It was a little bit of a gap. Yeah, that's between the kind there. of runs I was talking about. I wasn't talking about you make your top 25 board and Missouri's always in the top 15. I was just saying, could you see Drinkwitz getting us to the top 15 eventually? Four years yeah, from now. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I can at some point. I mean, the, the I, number one thing they had to do was improve the the talent on the roster in the SEC. Like, I just don't think they recruited at a high enough level where in Missouri, because the Big 12 is just a lesser football league, you could get really good players and sort of X's and O's and coach them up where you can beat seven of the 10 teams in the, S, uh, in, in, in the Big 12 but when you go up against Oklahoma and Texas and those teams that really recruit on that national level, they always sort of hit their head on that ceiling. Now in the SEC, it's the exact same thing. Like, 
they've proven to be better than South Carolina. They've proven to be better than Kentucky and Vanderbilt and those programs. But that ceiling of teams in which they hit their head on, it's just more of those teams in their conference than it was in the Big 12. All right. Jackson, do you have anything else? Um, I was going to say just one thing, not not a question or anything. I was just going to say to add on to your point, I don't know if it'll even take four years for us to see a top 15. I could realistically see us getting in there sooner. I mean, think about it. The one thing with the SEC is that you get the opportunities to prove yourself every year. You're not stuck like a UCF was, or you're not stuck like, you know, Boise State was in the Kellen Moore years. You get that opportunity to play the top dogs, and I could see us getting a few big wins in the next few years. So just to add on to that, yeah, I think it's a very realistic goal for us in the next few years. And before we sign off, one last thing, Kansas, four years from now, you'll, you will still be losing football games. You so will still be a one-win no team. There. You, you <laughs> you're, you're, you're doomed. All right, that's going to wrap it up for uh, this interview. Carrington, do you have anything you want to shout out, promote? No, I'm happy you guys had me on, man. I uh, I know we it's a busy time on. for everybody right now with the midst of everything that's going on, but I'm happy we found a time to make it work out. And it wasn't like last time. Like last time, it took like three weeks for me to come on. It didn't take that long this time. No, hey, yeah. first date, you know, John, the dude that couldn't be here, he decided to make it a little challenging. But hey, we got a date. We got a time. <laughs> we, you were There's always going on in the world. We You're, just trying, but we got to prioritize Chiefs football and Mizzou basketball eventually. So good to, good to get it now. You are Absolutely. always welcomed on this podcast, Carrington. But, Other than that, thank you for coming on, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Peace.